This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So how much does it cost? I mean, we talk about consumer proposals, we talk about personal bankruptcy, and this is one of the first questions I ever had for you when we sat down, is that when I go into your office or go into the Sands & Associates offices, and there's 17, um... I always think, okay, so what's in it for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, besides you're doing a, a heck of a lot of good for folks mm-hmm. and helping them get out from underneath that debt. Um, how do you guys, how, do, how does a, a licensed insolvency trustee get paid? And, and that's what this, this segment is all about, which I think is really great. Yeah, so I remember when I sat down and I was telling my parents, you know, I discovered, you know, this new direction I want to take my career. I want to become a trustee in bankruptcy. The logical next question was, well, people are bankrupt. Doesn't that mean they have no money? Exactly. How are you, how are you ever going to get paid? Right. Um, so these are dead. Good on def- you, son, yeah. but come on. Way to go. Make the world a better place, but make sure you can eat too. Exactly. Um, so yeah, at the, at the end of the day, it does cost money to go into bankruptcy or to do a consumer proposal. That's generally pretty reasonable cost. Everything is set by the government, and we're going to go through a whole lot of detail today on how the costs are determined, give some examples. Uh, it's something we've got no problem discussing as a licensed insolvency trustee. I'm an officer of the court. Transparency is the name of the game. So anybody that deals with us, they could see very clearly what fees are, uh, what goes back to creditors. And again, everything's heavily regulated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's really important. Regulated. So there's rules you have to follow. Uh, the federal government determines those rules and regulations. So it's not like you guys are just winging it and coming up with a number at the end of the day that I owe you for helping me out. Exactly. Yeah. Trustees are not permitted to set their own, you know, fees and expenses and things like that. Uh, And it's not a fee for service arrangement. So it's not the case. I've got some clients who are scared to call me because they know if I pick up the phone, I bill them for 20 minutes of my time and that costs them money. It's nothing like that. It's all again set by a government tariff. Okay. So should we start? Yeah, let's talk about bankruptcy. All right. So I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have to file uh, for bankruptcy. Uh, how much do I have to pay in order to file that? Yeah, there's two scenarios for how a bankruptcy can go. We're just going to keep it a little bit simple as we start off here and assume that the person is low income. And what low income means is that for a single person, they're earning less than roughly $2,200 a month after tax take-home pay. Okay, And that might not seem like much. Definitely in Vancouver, that's very difficult to make ends meet, but it's a national standard. So sure, it's easier in Newfoundland than here, but here we are. Yeah. Um, so if someone's low income, they come in, they sit down with the trustee, we meet a number of times, and we figure out, okay, bankruptcy is the right option for them. What they have to do during that bankruptcy is report their income to us over a nine-month period. And if they remain low income during that period, they're required to pay $200 a month for those nine months. So a total of $1,800. Okay. So that's the cheapest and quickest way a bankruptcy could ever be administered is a nine-month proceeding. Uh, If someone's considered low income, it has no relation to the amount of the debt. So it could be just a few thousand dollars of debt. It could be millions of dollars of debt. It's all based on what's the person's ability to pay. And the minimum is the $200 per month over nine months. It's important to know this is not an addition to their debt repayments. As soon as someone files for bankruptcy, they stop paying everybody they've been paying. You know, if they got a mortgage or a car loan, they pay that, but all the other 
debts are part of the bankruptcy and they pay the trustee instead, which is usually a whole lot less than what they've been paying on their debts. Right. And out of that $200 a month for the nine months, that's how Sands and Associates gets paid. Exactly. So in a situation where that's all that's been received, there's no assets, there's no tax refunds or things like that, uh, that money gets split a number of different ways between the government and the trustee. Uh, The trustee retains roughly $1,100 to $1,200 of those costs, um, but there's no repayment on the debts. Essentially, all the debts get written off with zero repayment on them. Okay, so the consumer proposal that we that we love to talk about, um, how does how does that work? How much do I have to pay in order to have that put in place? Yeah, so the consumer proposal, because every situation is different, so there's no set amount for a consumer proposal. There's Fair no enough. flat rate of you know an eighteen hundred dollar bankruptcy compar- right. comparable consumer proposal because it's all based on what's the debt, what's the percentage being offered back. So you know in some cases it might be debts in the range of twenty five thousand dollars, for example. And it might be a consumer proposal in the range of $9,000, so just over a third of those debts. Um, If that's the case, the person would likely structure the proposal to repay $9,000 at an amount of $150 a month over 60 months. So they just make that payment each month. Their cost to actually file the consumer proposal is just the first month's payment. Okay. And can I ask a question? How do we arrive at if it's $25,000 and I and I'm paying repaying 9,000 of that is the debt. How do mm-hmm. how do you come to that number? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a bit of an art and a science to it. So the science to it is we have to look at what would happen if the person filed for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. In many cases if bankruptcy is going to be a zero recovery, we're able to offer back something on the lower end of a proposal, maybe 20 or 25 cents on the dollar, okay? But we just have to make sure if bankruptcy was going to give back 25 cents on the dollar, for example, because the person had some assets or made a whole lot of money, we couldn't do a proposal for anything less than that. We'd have to go to 30 or 35 cents on the dollar. So whatever a bankruptcy recovery is going to be, that sets a floor. So that's kind of the science of it. The art of it is trying to figure out, well, how much higher above that do we have to be or not be based on various creditors. So, you know, Royal Bank might have different requirements than CIBC, uh, than Easy Financial, than Canadian Tire. So based on the trustee's judgment and experience um, and in concert with the client as well, there's a bit of a judgment call that says, okay, we think going in at 22 cents on the dollar is going to be appropriate based on these creditors and based on a bankruptcy recovery. And what and what I then can afford to pay as well, uh, of right? Of course, like That's yes. all part of that. Yeah, so and thank you for, for tweaking me on that because for for a trustee to even file a consumer proposal, I have to sign off on two things. One is that it's better than a bankruptcy, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. The other, and even more importantly, is that the person can actually perform it that we've looked at the budget, we understand the income, we understand the obligations, who lives at home, what are their needs, and that the proposal is affordable. If those two things can't be signed off on, then it's not a viable proposal and it can't be filed. So that's just part of the process of coming to that exactly. coming to that point. Um, do you want to do this, this part about sort of walking us through some of the costs that are included in the processes and then sort of give us a bit of an example in a typical bankruptcy? Yeah, maybe we'll just do a couple of examples sure. here just on the consumer proposals. We had a couple that were okay. written up. And, yeah, and I think sometimes it's really good just to you know hear some numbers from actual clients. So we went through the last couple months and saw, uh, you know, one recent proposal that we've done. It was debt of forty one thousand uh, dollars, and it was monthly payments of three hundred and fifty dollars over 60 months. So that was repaying about 50% of the debt. So very significant reduction, no further interest, $41,000 down to $350 a month. You can imagine the minimum payments were multiples of that with no end in sight. Right. Um, you know, an, 
another one is someone on a very small uh, small amount of debt here. It was $9,000. They were able to reduce it down to just $200 a month over 24 months. So some proposals are much shorter. This one was done inside of two years and the debts were reduced again down to about half. So somewhere between a 30 and 50% repayment is usually where, where people end up being. And you've got a self somebody who's self-employed, an example there as well. And then I've got a question I want to ask. Yeah. So the self-employed individual, I see lots and lots of these individuals. Sometimes it's to the government. Sometimes it's GST or income tax debt. Uh, in this case, the person owed $43,000 and that did include some tax debt. Uh, we helped them file a consumer proposal and their monthly payments were $230 a month over 60 months, a reduction of over 70% of their total debts. And I guess it's more of a point than a question. In each of these cases, they were completely unique and, mm-hmm. the, and the situation was customized specifically for them. Yeah. Uh, and that's the important part to remember in this process is that this is your solution. Mm-hmm. It's not the solution. It's your solution based on all the other pieces. Yeah, there, there's no suite of, you know, tailor-made cookie-cutter proposals right. that we just stick somebody in. It's no, we start off with a blank sheet of paper in front of us, you know, tell me what's going on. What what are the debts? How'd they get away from you? What are you facing right now? And then we work on a solution. And that's and that makes it different from a bankruptcy, right? Because mm-hmm. there's very specific costs with the bankruptcy. And can we talk about that now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so when you file for bankruptcy, um, you know, the amount that you have to pay, again, it's 100% driven by your income. And if you're low income, you pay the $200 per month. If you're not low income, you pay significantly more than that. Um, And what happens with that money from there is that there's a number of costs that the trustee has to pay. Um, So, you know, so first off, when you file a bankruptcy, um, the trustee has to pay out about $100 administrative allowance. Uh, The trustee has about $170 of counseling session costs. And as I alluded to earlier, about $1,200 to $1,300 are trustee fees. Um, So in total of your $1,800, about $1,500 goes to those costs. Uh, And then there's a number of levies to the government that basically take it up to $1,800 payable over the nine months. Got it. Okay. So it's very clear cut. You know exactly what it is when you're when you're going in which is which is great. So what if somebody was coming to you and considering considering filing a bankruptcy or consolidating their debt with a consumer proposal? Is there sort of a set th- couple of things that you say okay, this is what you need to really think about first? You know, a couple of things. So, you know, first off is what's the size of the debt situation? So um, is it the case it's a couple of thousand dollars, the person can get out of it on their own, a consumer proposal is, you know, too severe of a, of a solution. Usually that's not the case. Um, is the case the debts are so significant that even paying back a portion won't be possible? Again, sometimes I have people very early on in their financial careers have an unfortunate ICBC accident, have a million dollars assessed against them. I'm sorry, but doing a consumer proposal to pay back 20% of a million dollars, first off, they couldn't afford it. And second, that's probably not the best use of their money over the next, you know, five-year term. Right. Um, so we got to figure out, is the debt so severe or so minimal? But if it hits the sweet spot, which is anywhere between, you know, a few thousand dollars up to about $250,000, the next thing to look at is what can the person afford? So we review everybody's budget in detail. What's the income coming in? Who lives at home? Are there special circumstances with special diets or health requirements or different things like that? What can the person afford? Uh, and then the last thing is just to figure out, okay, the debts fit. I think the person can afford a proposal. Are the creditors going to go for it? Right. So, you know, in some cases, if someone's been delinquent on their taxes for the last 10 years, they've just filed 10 years of tax returns right at once, and they want to do a proposal the next day to the government, 
it's a pretty tough sell. It can be a little difficult for the government not to say, well, we want you to go through a bankruptcy, you know, take the lumps, do the penance, so on and so forth. But in most other situations, creditors outside of the government, they just want more money than a bankruptcy. So most of the time, they're willing to work with an individual if they choose to file a consumer proposal. The other piece I, I want you to include in, and you alluded to it in, in just one of the costs uh, w- uh, for the... Um for the bankruptcy about the uh, counseling session mm-hmm. costs, uh, that that's part of the service that you, that you, that Sands and Associates offers their customers when they walk in the door. Yeah, that that's something that perhaps we're, you know, reducing the debts is one thing. We're very proud of that. Um, but it's funny, the calls that I get years later, they tend to rave about the counseling. They tend to talk about, you know, the grounding that I got in the financial counseling sessions, teaching me how to rebuild my credit, how to set up a good household budget. That was what really put me on a good path to be financially successful later on. So regardless of whether a bankruptcy or a proposal, we give the counseling to every client. It's two sessions, private one-on-ones in our offices here, and it's a great way to move forward and, you know, not make the same mistakes in the future, ideally. And I think that's one of the um, important pieces to remember when you're dealing with Sands and Associates is that all the way through the process, you're not just out the door at the end of it, but you've been given some some tools so that you don't find yourself in that same situation again. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you want more information, the 1-800 1-800 number is 661-3030. Visit the website, sands-trustee.com uh, to meet with someone. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this is a great segment uh, because it's something, it's an issue on credit cards and all kinds of bills and invoices that we get, regardless of the source, where they give you an option for a minimum payment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, all, it feels good, like, oh, I'm doing the minimum payment. Yeah. These people are looking after me. They're telling me I don't even have to think about it. They're telling me what I need to do and not have to worry about until next month. And, th- and that's the trap, right, of only making those minimum payments on credit cards at the same time thinking that I'm that I'm progressing along and getting mm-hmm. rid of my dad and looking after things properly. And uh, I, I think this is a terrific segment because we're really going to dive a little deep on it, uh, on on why it isn't the best setup for the consumer, maybe for the institution, mm-hmm. but not for the consumer. Um, so let's talk about um, credit card minimum payments, how they're calculated, and then walk through um, some examples that you've got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hit the nail right on the head there, uh, Elaine, in, in the intro where, you know, it's basically, it's very comfortable. If you make your minimum payments every month, typically your credit score looks great. That's a really big component of your credit score is you're making all your payments on time. The total amount of debt that you have, that really doesn't figure into the credit score. So you could be carrying a ton of debt, but you could have a really high number because you're just churning through those minimum payments every month. And sometimes when I'm out, it's an occupational hazard in this job, but you know, I overhear and I heard two people talking about their credit credit card lately and one was saying to the other, yeah, I always pay the minimums or I pay just a little bit more than the minimums. I know I'm on track as long as I, you know, pay just a little bit more than the minimums. And I thought, okay, I was hearing that a lot more 10 years ago than I am today. But the fact that I'm still hearing it tells me, okay, people still do need a bit of an education on minimum payments um, because what we've seen in our client base, and it's now the number one warning sign, the number one reason why people come to see us is they figure out they're only making the minimum payments and they're never going to get out of debt at that rate. 
So Really important piece. Yeah. So how are minimum payments calculated? Yeah. How well, are they calculated? Yeah. And it can be different. It can be different between banks and it can be different between the same bank um, on different cards. So your personal credit history can be a factor um, in the interest rates and the card products that you're offered. Uh, and sometimes other transactions can have their own requirements as well. So cash advances can have a different uh, rate of interest. They're charged on the day you take it out as opposed to a grace period. Right. Um, but all that aside, you know, your minimum payment is usually either a flat dollar amount, so you know, usually $10 plus interest or fees, or the higher of a dollar amount and a percentage of your outstanding balance. So sometimes in between 1% to 3% of the balance outstanding. Um, so what I take away from there, and I did some detailed research on one of the big banks, is literally their minimum payment is $10 plus interest fees and everything else. So what you're actually doing every month, regardless of the size of your payment, could be 200 bucks. $10 is what actually draws down the balance when you make the minimum payment. So look over your statements over the last few months if you're just making minimum payments and actually look how much of that goes to interest and fees. Uh, you might be surprised how little is actually drawing down uh, the principal there. Uh, we talked a few months ago, Elaine, about the province of Quebec. Mm-hmm. And they brought in some, what I think is outstanding consumer protection legislation that really flips this minimum payment thing on its ear. Uh, what Quebec is requiring is that your minimum payment is 2% of the balance owing, eventually increasing up to 5%. So that's taking credit cards from the never-never plan to, at a 5% minimum payment, that's a 20-month payment plan. Right. So it's really going to put it in stark relief. Hey, unless you can pay off 5% of this balance every month, you probably need some help. Yeah, and that's a big wake-up call for people. I can't imagine mm-hmm. when that when that first came in, they went, "Whoa, how did that happen?" Yeah, and that's just started. I believe August is when that launched in the province of Quebec. And I feel like it's a good thing. I feel like yeah. it's consumer protection in a in kind of a a backward way of doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's a little on the paternalistic side, you know. <laughs> yes, here's the rules: li- live within them. Um, but I would be supportive as a financial professional, saying I've just seen too many people fall into this minimum payment trap. And years later, they just feel like, you know, they've lost years but not made any progress. So, you know, we've got a couple examples here. Yeah. Um, and it's really just striking. So, you know, if it's a low interest credit card, so low interest, you know, typically you think you're doing everything right. That's about 11.9%. It might be similar to consolidation. And can I ask where yeah. you get one of those low interest credit cards? Yeah, you go to your bank. So banks typically, they don't put them on the front page, but if you do a little bit of research, most of the big banks will offer you a low interest rate card if you meet their criteria, which okay. would be, you know, credit score, assets, cash flow, and things like that. Okay. Um, but yeah, these typically aren't the ones where there's, you know, the big rewards and the big marketing and the sign-up bonuses, uh, but typically they're the ones that would save you a bit of money. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's look at what that might look like. Yeah. So you're $5,000. Uh, you've got a low interest credit card at 11.9%. Your minimum payments would take you 14 years and seven months to become debt-free. That's a huge length of time. Yeah. $5,000, 15 years at a low interest rate card. So Crazy. It, it gets better or worse from here. Yeah, okay? exactly. Better in that it's information, but worse if you're in the situation. Yeah. So same $5,000 balance. Now we're at a standard rate card of 18.9%. Uh, we went to just under 20 years. So 19 years and nine months um, to become debt-free. Let's say it's that same $5,000 and it's at a store credit card. So the 29.9% interest rate. So you recall we were at 14 years. We were at 19 years. Now we're at 50 years. 50 years and four months to clear a $5,000 debt from a store credit card at a 29.9% interest rate. And I think I just want to reiterate too that store credit card rate at 29.9%, and that's not unusual. No, that's typical. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that can be a surprise for people. It's great if you're going to use it transactionally, get the points. We'll talk about that in a second. But do not carry a balance. Even at 20% it is not very wise. At 29.9%, uh, the debts are just running away from you in their own steam there. So how much of this information is on our statement when we get it? A lot. And you and I have discussed about that. There's a great disclosure. And, you know, the banks, they put it in various spots. Sometimes it's the first page, sometimes the last page. But they have to show you if you only make the minimum payments, this is how long it's going to take you to get out of debt. Um, I have clients bring me in notices all the time, more than 100, 150 years, 200 years. Sometimes they just say, yeah, too long to be meaningful or something right, to that extent. Exactly. Uh, you, you shall not pay this off. So, so <laughs> Forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let's look at um, how, how you can help, how <laughs> you can, some tips for a consumer to get them out of this cycle of paying minimum payments. Yeah, so a couple things to consider here. You know, one, think about the full cost of items when you have to charge them on credit. So if you're getting a great deal on something, uh, but you know you're going to have to carry it on your credit card for a year before you'll be able to pay it off, well, you should actually think about, well, what I'm paying now, I should be adding about a 20 or 30% bonus on top of that because that's the interest cost that I'm going to have to pay. So think about the full cost of whatever you charge if you're not going to be able to pay it off right away. Um, a couple little things that I see, which are just, you know, um, cash drains without benefit from my perspective, uh, balance protection insurance. Mm. So this, they usually charge, you know, 1% of your balances or purchases on the card, regardless of whether you pay them off or not. Okay. I've never seen one client who's gotten that to pay out when they need it. Okay. And my clients are the people that would need it because they've, right. they've lost their job. They've had health issues and things like that. Everyone seems to pay into it. No one can collect from my experience. So I generally advise um, clients, just save that money. It's a charge every single month, whether you use it or not. I would decline the balance protection insurance. And I'm always very negative about rewards programs. It doesn't yeah. matter who it is. Yeah, that's another thing. It's kind of this magic trick of misdirection. Hey, focus on the 1% we're giving you back on your travel there, not on the 2 or 3% you're paying every month in interest. Um, so really be careful about rewards cards, whether it's Aeroplan miles or, um, or you know, HBC points or different things like that. It's a way of driving consumer behavior that it's often to your detriment. You get focused on the rewards, which there may be worth 1% of your spend at the most. Um, but if you have to carry a balance for even more than a month or so, you've often eclipsed that value just by carrying the balance. And I know we're winding down this segment, but cash advances always look very attractive when you get uh, the note with your mm -hmm. statement or a special letter from the, oh, the yeah. bank. Oh yeah, balance protect, or sorry, balance transfers, cash advances, convenience checks, just say no. If you're able to say no, just say no, because oftentimes you're charged a special interest rate, which could be up to 10% higher, and you pay interest from the day you take the money, as opposed to the grace period if you actually made a purchase on the card. So if if a little bell is going off in your head as, you're, as you listen to this segment about credit card uh, minimum payments and how to handle them, and you think, oh my gosh, I have no idea, that's the time to, to, to do one of two things. Go to the SANS uh, Sands & Associates uh, website. It's sands-trustee.com. There's a ton of great information there. Or give them a call and get that first free consultation and look at your debt and look at a budget and see if, see if you need some help and how you might get that help. And I'll give you the 1-800 number. It's 661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. With us in studio is Dean Gurney, 
also from Sands & Associates. He's the president, has over 30 years of experience practicing in the areas of personal and corporate insolvency and restructuring. Dean, of course, has a huge skill set, deep experience for all the clients that he meets, recognizing the stress and confusion that those facing financial difficulty often feel and uses an empowerment through knowledge approach. I love this quote, Dean. Whenever I'm assisting a Sands & Associates client, my goal is to educate them on their financial requirements so they're better able to function in today's financial environment. Thank you so much for being here. Pleasure to be here today. Yay. So we're talking about credit trends. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. So Dean, I, we were chatting a little bit ahead of this and obviously, uh, well, obviously because our listeners can't see us, but you've been a trustee longer than I have. So I've been a trustee myself about the last 10 years, but Dean, you date back to early 80s, not to date you too too much. But um, <laughs> I thought for today, if you can, if we can talk a little bit about you know what you've seen as a trustee, how credit's evolved over time, you know what was it like when you started to become a trustee and what have you seen today? There's so many innovations, so many more ways to get people into trouble. So it's kind of how do we get to this mess that we're in now, I think is, is, is kind of the focus of today's segment. Sure. And um, in the 1980s, you know, uh, credit was uh, just beginning, becoming its uh, into its fruition. And that's when things really started out. But as most people refer to the 19, early 1980s as the, the Great Recession and the, the, because of the high interest rates, 23, 20, 23 We're talking mortgage rates over 20%, oh, right? That's correct. God, and, that's uh, insane, some, right? <laughs> some, some people, some parents and some people that were that were communicating with uh, through this uh, radio show remember those times. <laughs> and they tell their children about those times, but they don't believe it because we only have interest rates of 2 and 3 and 4%. Yeah. Uh, but to pay that kind of debt, it was huge in that particular point in time, and there was uh, 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 there was catastrophic, I'll call it, uh, business failures at that particular point in time, and um, and and that's when I I started. But really, I started uh, with uh, kind of a trying this job out uh, to see if I really liked it or not. But more than that, I I had in the back of my mind, I had that uh, one of these days the economy is going to work out and everything's going to be fine, and um, and and uh, the economy will come back and I will be out of a job. There'll be so, no need for trustees, right? No need for trustees <laughs> because before that, trustee work was a was a was uh, done by accountants and it was a part-time job with the, in the accounting firm. So, you know, the accountants did their accounting thing and they did bankruptcy on the side um, and, that was, uh, and that was about it. But after 1980, uh, that, was a, that was a a gone uh, practice. You mm-hmm. know, now, now uh, you see uh, uh, accountants do their thing and trustees and bankruptcy, we do our thing when we only uh, communicate with each other when we need them. Uh, so, so, so from that environment, then um, you know you got to remember that uh, we were, we didn't have the credit facilities that we had today. We had to go to the, to the bank between ten and ten and three. Mm-hmm. If you didn't make it to the bank, there you know you basically you had no money for the for no, the weekend. No bank machines then. No bank machines. No nothing. And uh, so what happened uh, in those days is that credit or I'm sorry, gas companies uh, brought out credit card. Okay? Oh, yeah. oh was, they were the first ones. That's mm. right. Oh, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, and that's uh, and that was the first uh, credit that was available. And really, the, the simple philosophy was: okay, you got the money in the bank, you need to get you need gas, so you put it on this card, and you know next week or when the bill comes in, you pay it because right. you got the money in the bank. Hmm. And really, that's way the way people should be conducting themselves today. But unfortunately, <laughs> that's not what happens. 
So uh, and 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 you know again the 1980s were was a trend where housing prices were moderate. Uh, uh, you had uh, you had to put down uh, 10 15 percent uh, to get a to qualify for a mortgage if you wanted a credit card. Then uh, the, the banks issued credit cards. Visa was just starting to come out then, but you had to be a preferred creditor with the bank if you weren't the if you weren't mm. one of the high income rollers with the with, with the banks at that time. You didn't get one of these cards. And, you know, and of course, they were kind of a, a prestigious thing because when you went out and you got credit and you put your credit card down, obviously, it was it was like a, a, show a, a of gold, it was like a gold American Express Absolutely. card, you know, like it was yeah. like you know, prestige. It was yeah. prestige and everything else. But, you know, of course, uh, as time goes on, the credit is becoming easier. There's been more players come into the marketplace. Uh, people have given uh, more and more credit uh, for uh, for less and less security. I guess you could call it that. Sure. And uh, what is it? What is event over that period of time? Is that where we are today? Which the most surprising thing about uh, the credit we have today is that it's been somewhat facilitated by recessions that we've had along the way, or downturns in the economy. I'll hmm. call them. So what is uh, and and every one of the downturns since 1980 that have taken place, the, ironically, has been recovered by consumer spending. Right. Consumer spending on borrowed money. And that, that exists today. So every time that the government says, you know, things are slowing down, well, we gotta we gotta get people spending money here somehow because that's what's going to drag us out of this recession. And uh, so, and and a lot of times uh, for the last few recessions, that's exactly what has happened is that we've we've dragged ourselves out of this. But but the borrowing and the spending continues, and that's how people get themselves into more. Credit card. It's so available, though. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, uh, to go from from gas companies to to banks and being a preferred customer. I mean, you can be offered five or six credit cards at any given time, depending on mm-hmm. the institution. They can access your, you know, get a hold of you through your ma- mailing address. But students, parents give oh, yeah. their students who are away in university or college, and. Uh, or just go go shopping at your favorite retail store. Someone, someone will stop you in the aisle. You need a credit card. We'll give you this free blanket or something like that. Yeah, like, or a department yeah. store. If you're yeah, buying exactly. something, they say, oh, well, do you have one of our cards? No. Oh, well, would you like one? You'll get 15% off if you sign up right now. And I'm thinking, sounds good. You know, let's sign up. And a lot of people a lot of people do exactly do that. that. They walk yeah. into the store. They sign those things, not knowing what they're getting involved in. And then the temptation is too great. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, even, you know, you spoke about uh, students there a minute ago. Like on registration week, uh, I'm Blair and I, when Blair and I went to university, this didn't exist. But on registration week, you go in there and you got all these credit card companies lined exactly. up wanting to yep. give you credit cards. Uh, well, you know, when we went to school, that didn't exist. Exactly. But nowadays, like they're just dying to uh, keep on advancing this money. Um, it's all it's up to everybody. Uh, to say no, you know, you have to know what your limits are and, and you have to basically control your credit and do a proper budget and make sure that you make sure that you live within your means and, and uh, always, always have some money in the bank so that if you do buy something, you have the ability to pay. 
it's almost like, Dean, you've got to do the opposite of what the herd, so to speak, what everybody else is doing. Because thinking about what you're saying about, you know, the consumer driven recoveries from the recession, the metric of consumer debt to income, that's just went up, 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 up for the last 30 years. We've been in and out of recession, but that number has only increased and not decreased. So the things that you're talking about doing, Dean, of having the money in the bank to pay off the card, uh, that's not what the average person is able to do, unfortunately. Well, that's true. And, you know, and we live in a we live in a different time than even 30 years ago. And uh, people are living from paycheck to paycheck. And, and of course, we have more and more demands upon, uh, uh, upon us uh, in order to make ends meet. Uh, even car loans these days, like mm-hmm. when, when in the 80s, car loans, uh, they were they were basically made for three or four years. Right now they're like six and seven years. Yeah. You know, like and 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 uh, and we can look at those things all the time, uh, seeing how much uh, the how the credit industry has expanded well beyond its uh, reasonableness at this point in time. And so here's a question for two people in the business. What's the? What do you see happening next? I mean, is this just going to continue to some great degree in terms of our avail the availability of credit for us, or are there? You know, you know what I'm asking, right? I know it's a. a, a um, well, I'm I'm going to expand on Thank that. Thank you. One. You know so what I'm going to what I'm going to say is is that you know and this, crystal ball. The, the, that's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for. Crystal yeah. ball. Sorry oh, about that. That's okay. But the the, the until we get our education system to identify that this is a need within our system of 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 getting uh, students to understand what debt is and how to deal with it, uh, it never ceases to amaze me when people come in to see me and they say they always say after we've explained things and we get them on track and we make out a budget for them, they they basically say why isn't this taught in school? Mm-hmm. All the time we hear that. Why is this not taught in school? And and we and my often answer is well you know they want you to know how to do a quadratical equation or how to cal- solve a calculus question. But they certainly don't want you to know how to bang, balance your bank statement. Mm-hmm. You know that might be really useful in life, <laughs> but uh, but you know, um, uh, and we have that ongoing discussion all the time. But until to answer your question, until there is a, there is a real identification that this is a needed function within the education system, as it was when we went to school. We had we had this when we went to school. Um, uh, then I think that the system is going to continue on the way it is. You go and and for all intents of purposes like why does the government or businesses want this to end that's the other thing too because there's no motivation there's no motive Mm -hmm. banks are making huge money out of this thing the government every time somebody buys something wages are being paid gst's been paid yes all of this stuff is being uh facilitating the the government's uh ongoing uh efforts to collect money right so everybody has a stake in this yes so Mm -hmm. it's going to be really difficult to uh, ratch this thing back to something that is reasonable, but we have to be get more education out there is my philosophy. Yeah. And I think just building on, on that, Dean, one thing I've seen just currently, I think into the future here, is the idea of people's fixation on their credit score. So now, you know, the free credit score online, monthly credit monitoring, what's your credit score? You can't get that apart without a credit score. It's, to me, there's some 
agenda there of making people focus on the wrong indicator, which is a credit score. It's a measure of how much money you make the banks as opposed to are you solvent? Do you have money saved? Are you doing the right things, paying everything on a monthly basis? So, exactly. Um, so I think there is this grand misdirection that's happening, unfortunately, and most people aren't aware of it. Yes, absolutely. So it's up to each of us to make sure the people in our in our own little families, our own little worlds are aware of the necessity. And it all comes, for me, it all comes down to being accountable, like being responsible for what I'm doing. There is nobody who's going to save me. If I'm 20 years old, 30 years old, or 60 years old, nobody's going to save me. I've got to figure out how to manage this myself. And, and I think you guys are perfect examples in terms of working for a company, having a company that that really assist people in a significant way to figure their way out uh, when they get to that end and go, okay, this is it. I can't do any more. I, I need to take some action. I don't know what that is, but I need to find somebody uh, that's going to help me. This is when you go to Sands & Associates. We've been talking with Dean Gurney, who's president of Sands & Associates. And of course, you know Blair Manton. He's also from Sands & Associates. And here's the deal. If you want to check out their website, it's a terrific one. that's just chock-a-block of good, good information. It's sands-trustee.com. Or if you'd like to give them a call and set up a a first free visit, 1-800-661-3030, as well to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. We're going to talk about uh, seniors and seniors struggling uh, with debts well into their retirement. And it's something that you're seeing more of, more folks struggling? Yeah, every year that's a demographic in our practice that just goes up and up. So most recent research um, for us in 2017, a full 35% of people that came to see us were age 55 and older. And obviously at that type of age, you're probably contemplating retirement, if not in retirement. Our age range goes as high as often 90 years old. We have wow. people coming in, you know, really still struggling with debt. So, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah, and there's a lot of research that's out there. The Vanier Institute, you know, a very well-respected um, think tank, they figured out that a senior today is 19 times more likely to need the help of a trustee to file either a bankruptcy or a proposal than they were just 20 years ago. Now, is there, is there a, a consensus as to why that is? There's a confluence of factors here. You know, we talk a lot about the cost of living. Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to people just not finishing their working life and being debt-free. So they've either continued to accumulate debt in retirement um, or the debt that they've had, it just it hasn't went away. They're making minimum payments, which just don't, don't draw down the value. Uh, quite often there's a phenomenon of really trying to help out um, both their kids and their grandkids as well. So really supporting two further generations as opposed to just one, um, especially as kids and grandkids today have a tougher time entering the workforce, saving money, earning a really good wage. Sometimes elderly parents still feel that type of responsibility to help out even two subsequent generations. Yeah, or they just so want to. Yeah. So want to. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense to do that. So we've got a couple of case studies, which is great. So Mm -hmm. again, this is a perfect opportunity if if you're listening and and this sounds like, oh, this could be my situation or I know somebody in this situation. So the first one is uh, a couple. 
Yeah, so we'll, we'll call them John and, and Jane. And I discussed these. I was giving a presentation to a group of seniors last week, and there were a lot of nodding heads in the room saying, yeah, I could see you know, either my circle of friends or family, someone facing a similar situation. Uh, so John and Jane, John is 70 years old and retired, and Jane is 76 years old and retired. Um, their debts, so John owed about $18,000 when he came to see us, um, and Jane owed about $56,000. And these were all consumer debts. So you know, there were no mortgages or car loans. This was uh, mainly credit cards and a line of credit as well. Okay. Um, the assets that they had were a 2006 vehicle, um, you know, worth less than $5,000, so nothing that could ever be seized from them. They had some household furnishings and still a small RRSP. Um, they ended up filing a bankruptcy and they did not lose any of their assets in the bankruptcy. Okay. Um, the circumstances that got them to seeing us, um, again, is I think interesting here. Um, so John and Jane were living in Ontario and in 2013, John's employment ended and ended unexpectedly due to health issues. Um, he was unable to work. Um, they decided to sell their home and they moved to BC to be closer to family. Which makes sense, mm-hmm. which makes really good sense, get close to family. But British Columbia is an incredibly expensive place depending on where you're going yeah, uh, and depending on where you left in Ontario. Yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Elaine. Big difference. Because they sold their house, and the house took almost a year to sell. So during that time, there was no income coming in. Yeah. Um, but when they finally did sell it, they received proceeds of about $129,000, uh, which they partially used for moving costs and for setting up their new place in BC and then um, to clear some of the debt they had to accumulate in the year when the house didn't sell. But 129000 they felt pretty good at that point. They thought they, they could manage things through. Wow. Now, the challenge is once they moved to BC and found out how expensive it was, um, their money went to just pay the minimum payments on their debts for four years since they had arrived here and to help with some living expenses. Um, they approached us when the money had ran out. So the full 129000 had all been used up and they realized they couldn't meet their minimum payments on just their pension incomes. So they're still paying into their pension at that point. Is that what you, is that oh, no. what you mean? Their pension's paying them. Their pension's paying them. Yeah. So what they were getting wasn't enough to cover their costs. Exactly. Okay. So their, right. their combined income was about $3,000 for the family of two, um, but it just wasn't enough to clear the minimum payments on their debts, which again, it was eighteen and 56000 so about you know $74,000 of total debts. They just right. weren't able to keep up, obviously, on $3,000 a month of income. That's incredibly out of whack. Yeah, right? and, and plus you have to live. you got to live somewhere in British Columbia, even if you're living outside of the lower mainland, uh, you still have to eat and da 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 da. I don't I don't need to tell you this. Oh no, it, <laughs> you know. we, we all know. Yeah, and and you know we reviewed their budget and the budgets weren't extravagant. So three thousand sure. of income that's coming in, fourteen hundred went to rent. Um, you know we yeah. wish it was lower. We all do, and this was you know out out in the valley here, but still that was reasonable for what they what they needed. Yeah, uh, you know vehicle was a couple hundred dollars a month. Uh, groceries for two five hundred and fifty dollars a month, all very reasonable. Um, eating out was about one hundred and eighty dollars a month, and we find with seniors this is some something that it's their social circle as well. This is the mm-hmm. way that they see people, see family. So sometimes it's the only way so seniors get out of the house. So sometimes we do see higher yeah. eating out costs, but 180 on 300 is not extreme. Um, you know, 75 for utilities, entertainment, grooming, and so on. So they were spending about $2,600 a month just to live. And out of $3,000 a month, they had 400 left over, which again, no money for debt. Right. So what they ended up doing is they sat down, we reviewed all of the options. They filed each a personal bankruptcy. And over the term of nine months, um, they were discharged from all of their debts. So okay. they didn't take it lightly. You know, they felt, um, you know, 
very sad that they weren't able to meet all of their obligations, but they were able to start again after nine months and focus on basically just living in the money that they have each month coming in the door. Okay, now, I, uh, pardon my ignorance on this mm-hmm. question, uh, but they both filed personal bankruptcy. Right. They couldn't do it as a couple? or no. You can't do that when you're filing bankruptcy? Very few joint bankruptcies happen because okay. if one person were to pass away or one person can't complete the bankruptcy, it becomes very complicated. So typically even couples would file two separate bankruptcies. Okay, so that's a s- standard procedure. Yeah. All right. Second one. Uh, uh, sing- is she a single woman, 69 years old? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So this was a, a case study. Margaret, again, names have been changed, but um, she was about 69 years old when she came to see us, was retired. Her debts were a lot less. She owed just under $27,000. Now, also, her income was less. She was earning just about $2,000 per month. Um, only assets were similar, some household furniture, a 2007 vehicle not worth a whole lot, and she retained all of her assets. Um, The circumstances that got her to us is she had been making minimum payments on credit cards and lines of credit, uh, but she found she wasn't paying down the balances at all. And that's what we find increasingly is people come to us and say, I've been doing the same payment for two or three years and I still owe the same amount of money. Exactly. And that's kind of by design. (laughs) A lot of these minimum payments do very little to actually chisel down the balance. Yeah. Um, her household expenses were quite low um, because she was living with family members who was only paying $500 a month in rent. And what we were able to work out with Margaret um, was that she could do a consumer proposal, which she was very excited to do. And now a bankruptcy would have been less expensive for her, but she really wanted to pay back the part of the debt that she could afford. So on her $27,000 of debt, we negotiated a consumer proposal for $9,000. So just one third of the debt, which is very much in the wheelhouse of what we do all the time on for proposals. Yeah. And we found in her budget, she was able to make a payment of $150 a month. So she'd pay off that $9,000, no interest, all the fees are included, no one can bother her or do anything against her. And over a period of up to five years, she'd pay $150 per month. Now, the other piece that we haven't uh, talked about yet is, as in the case for uh, so many folks, the stress and anxiety that comes with being in this situation Mm -hmm. and then doing a consumer proposal with you and figuring it that they can do this and they can manage this, it must have been a huge relief for her. It it was. And one of my colleagues was was working with Margaret on the day-to-day basis, and she gave me permission to share one of Margaret's emails. Uh, This was an email from Margaret to one of my colleagues, and it said, oh my goodness, I am in tears. And this is after we had just told her a proposal has been accepted. I cannot thank you enough. What a wonderful lady you are. And my colleague, Dana, definitely is. Uh, What do I need to do next? I'm just shaking. If I was there, I would give you a big hug. Thank you so much. Okay, so... We get those all the time. (laughs) Which is just so must be so gratifying. Yeah, it, it warms my heart every day, you know, just to, to get this type of validation that what we're doing is actually making a difference in people's lives. Yeah, so as a result, no stress for uh, Margaret anymore, and she's looking after a debt that she really wanted to look after. Exactly. Which is pretty great. So how did she get into this pickle? Well, it was really a, co- a bunch of factors all coming together. There were some car repairs, there were some dental expenses, there was a deductible for a car accident, which she assured me was not her fault, but she still got slammed with the deductible. Sure. Um, there were some medical medicine, there was a new mattress. Um, you know, it was very much just the things of life, just little unexpected things came up. And based on her $2,000 a month income, they had to go on credit. And unfortunately, that credit debt just continued to grow over time. Yeah, because none of this, I mean, even her trip to Ontario to see family that she hadn't seen in 20 years, mm-hmm. none of this stuff is extravagant by no. any means. Mm-hmm. Your dentist, you know, get, get repairing your car, depending on where you live, that's, that's the, your only way you're going to uh, mm-hmm. get out and about. 
That's such a great story. Mm-hmm. I think the most, or not, I don't know the most important thing, but it's just so important when, when you hear a story like this that we know that we're not alone. That's, That's got to right. be one of the biggest um, messages for folks. That's absolutely right. And if you want more information, if this resonates with you or you know somebody who's in a bit of a situation, uh, this is the phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. You get a free consultation with Blair and his staff to figure out what to do and what the next steps are, as well as to find an office near you. Or if you want to go to their website first, it's sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.